Amen. Thank you, Brother Bradley. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And welcome back to our new sermon series for August called Test Drive. This is an opportunity in August, each August, as vacation ends and school begins and things are getting somewhat back to normal that we uh, are, are coming back into uh, the fellowship with the body of Christ. And so we want to encourage you with that to give faithfulness an extra mile. Uh, this is the time to consider your next steps, and our church is ready to help you take those next steps. This is the time to think about your spiritual maturity and to grow in knowledge and service and generosity and community and all of those things. Now's the time to be thinking about that. Goodness, all the times to be thinking about that. Amen? And so uh, we want to encourage you. We want to help you with that in your walk with the Lord, to equip you uh, to do the work of the ministry. First Peter chapter 1, we'll look at verses 17 through 20 today as we consider reward, reverence, and ransom. Verse 17, and remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Amen. Lord, this life, this day, and this moment is not about us. You are the main character of every story. Lord, I ask, O oh God, today that your spirit would guide us into all truth. Take us from wherever we are to wherever we need to be. Father, I pray for each and every one that are listening today, Lord, whether they be here or online. Lord, I pray for those that are listening to our teaching pastors, our campus pastors at the North Campus and East Campus. Lord, we pray over them. God, that our church would be the church that you have in mind, that we would get one step closer today towards your holiness. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy that covers us and sustains us, for your spirit that works in us to draw us away from ourselves. So, Lord, all the things we may have heard all of our life today, Lord, if we've been in church all of our life, I pray, oh God, that you would help us to hear this fresh and anew. And, Lord, if this is the first time we busted the church wide open, I pray, oh, God, that your spirit would make plain everything that we read and say. And God, we're so grateful to be here, super grateful to be here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Reward, reverence, and ransom. Part of the theme of 1 Peter is blessing inherited by the gospel. In other words, what you get when you receive the good news that God saves through Jesus Christ. Again, as it relates to our series, we could say that 1 Peter lays out the desired features of your new movement, the desired features of, of what you receive when you receive Christ. And last week, we talked about the gift of grace. Today, we want to talk to you about the possibility of reward, to actually consider what reward is and what it means according to the Scripture. And reward, as we know it, is defined as something that is given in recognition of service, something that is given to award effort or achievement. And the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 17, the thought there is he will judge or reward you according to what you do. 
The first reward that I can ever remember receiving was this small trophy. It's the truth. Yesterday, as I was uh, thinking about this and how to illustrate this, I, in my house, I went down to our basement of the, the home that I grew up in. And I was looking for it because I know that my mama didn't throw it out, and it was very special to me, and sure enough, I look up, and I found it. My mother was a college softball coach, a local uh, college here in Decatur, and uh, she was a coaching softball team, and, and they had a tournament at a nearby college, and so uh, one day as I was tagging along, rather than getting in the way, she gave me a job to do. She says, how about you be bat boy today? I thought, that sounds good. So as uh, the tournament would go on, a young lady would hit, she'd drop her bat, and there I go. A young lady would hit, drop her bat, and there I go. And I did it all day long. It wasn't a very lucrative gig, but I enjoyed it. At the end of the day, the tournament director from the host community college walks up to me with this trophy, and he says, man, we've been watching you all day long. You've been getting after it. You've got every single bat that they drop. You've done a good job. You've done such a good job. We want to reward you with this trophy. Now, the funny thing is, as you can see it close enough, it's a football player. <laughs> but do you think that mattered to me? Absolutely not, because I thought he presented me with a World Series ring that day. I'm serious. I, I got this when I was about eight or nine years old, maybe a little younger, and then kept it to this day. It was a reward for finishing the race. The Bible speaks of judgment. The Bible speaks of reward. Now, there are two types of judgment. One is salvation judgment. This is the are you in or are you out judgment. This is the judgment that is based on the truth that salvation or being right with God is receiving God's unmerited favor by turning from sin and turning to God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you have called upon the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have called upon Jesus to be your Lord, your King, and your Savior, if you have decided with devotion to follow him all the days of your life, the Bible says in John three sixteen, you will not perish, you will not be separate from God, you will have eternal life. Eternal fellowship with God. Now, here's the thing. If you remain in your sin, if you live as if you are at the top, if you continue to question God instead of calling on God, there will be a future judgment for you at a time that is appointed. But I have to tell you, as it is my responsibility, the verdict is already in. I already know what the judgment will be for all of those qualifications that I just read. If you choose to question God instead of call on God, if you choose to remain in sin instead of turn from sin, if you choose to be the God at the top of your life instead of the one true God, the Bible also says in John chapter 3 that you are condemned already. The verdict will be a sure thing before you stand before the great white throne of judgment. There's no innocent verdict because Jesus is the only way to right standing. You cannot be good enough. You cannot work enough. You cannot be nice enough. You cannot attend church enough or give enough to cover up for your sins. The only way to survive the judgment of God when it comes to in or out is to receive the way that's been made for you. For he gave of himself and sent his son to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to die a sacrificial death, to live to show us how to live and to raise 
from the grave and all the hope and power of God. The author of Revelation says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, the Bible says, I saw the dead. This is at the great white throne judgment. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. All of the dead before Almighty God, an appointed time of judgment in the future, all classes and conditions of people, people from the Bible Belt, people from around the world, people from those who lived their life for doing wrong, people for those who thought that their works and their good works would get them in, those from religious backgrounds, those who did not believe anything at all, all who are spiritually dead, all who remain within their sin nature, which leads to death and separation, separate from God in their sin. They will stand before God's throne, and then according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, please listen, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is not something that a preacher relishes in telling you this morning, but it is definitely my responsibility to read and report. This is the warning that God gives, that he is, as a just God, out of the base characteristics of his holiness, he will judge every person in the world. Those who would not receive his grace through the mercy of Jesus Christ are condemned already. They will stand before the throne of God, and God will separate them from all eternity. You are underneath the sound of preaching and the draw of the Holy Spirit this morning so that you will miss hell and make heaven by the grace of God. And so as the Scripture says in 1 Peter the revelation of Jesus is now for us. Put off no longer. You are hearing the good news that God saves. We have just saying about his goodness and his mercy. That is available for you today. If you have never or you could not ever look back to a place in your life where you have turned from your sin and turned to God and decided with devotion to follow Jesus, why not let today be that day? You're going to let all the thoughts of what people may be thinking and hear of you and all the things of what you could have done and what they, you're going to think about all those things when it comes to standing before the throne of God? Turn from your sin and turn to God. Listen, let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Lord, if there be anyone today, as they sit within themselves and as your spirit draws us, Lord, if there be anyone today that simply needs to turn from you and seriously needs to turn to believe in Jesus. Lord, if they need to turn from their sin and they need to call on you to save them, God, right where they are, Father, I pray that they would not think about anything else, but Lord, in this moment, that they would call upon your name to save them the best way they know how. Understanding, oh God, that you are a God full of grace and mercy. God, if there be anyone watching online, anyone in here, Lord, if there's anyone that needs to be saved today, that before they think about the end of the service, before they think about the response and what they are to do next, God, that they would just humble themselves before you, understanding that they are a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness, and God, that they would call upon you to be saved, knowing that this grace is still available. And Jesus, we thank you, O oh God, for the work that you've done for our forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. The biblical truth is that Christians, those who believe and follow Jesus, will not be present for that judgment. Those who live and believe in Jesus will not be present for that judgment, for there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Y'all didn't hear that. 
There is no condemnation, no guilty verdict for those who are in Jesus Christ. If just right then, if you for the first time in your life bowed your head, closed your eyes, talked to the Lord God Almighty, calling upon him for mercy and grace, if you within the desired pull of the Spirit that's pulling out of you to turn from your sin and turn to God, if you called upon God for the first real time in your life, minute from your heart, according to the Scripture, if you are in Christ, there will be no condemnation for you. Hallelujah! And this is the truth of God's Word. This is what a big deal it is that we're all here today hearing the Word of God. It is a biblical truth that our sins, for those who have lived and believed in Jesus Christ, our sin has been judged upon the cross. And our forgiveness is intact with the gift of God's grace as it is received by faith. And the good news is that the substitutionary death of Jesus is still available for your taking even if you miss the last invitation. That's the first judgment. The second judgment, church, is a works judgment. And this is the judgment that the scripture we read today is talking about. The second judgment is a works judgment. It's not a salvation judgment. It's a works judgment. This is a judgment reserved for those who are in and based on the truth that salvation produces good works. Our good works, or lack thereof, will be reviewed, evaluated, all motives, thoughts, and actions by Almighty God. Sobering, isn't it? Romans chapter 14 says, We will stand before the judgment seat of God. In verse 10. In verse 12 it says, Each of us will give a personal account to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 says the same thing. So whether we are here in this body or we are away from this body, our goal is to please him, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. As I have studied, the word judge carries with it the idea of a judge that is seeking to find something good. A judge that is seeking to reward rather than to discipline, meaning we are his children He is not seeking to discipline us. He is seeking to reward us as a loving father who is returning home to a son or a daughter and he has given responsibility for them to follow. He's gone away for a time. He comes back. He wants to find faithfulness. He doesn't come home with a belt or paddle in hand. He is coming with the intention to reward the good works of his children. And at this judgment seat of Christ, Jesus will award those who finish the race according to how they run. Like the authority who provides over any kind of race now. Not seeking to disqualify, but seeking to acknowledge those who run well. Church, as we use this month to consider our next steps toward spiritual maturity. As we use this month to challenge us to think about where we are and where we need to be. Let me just remind us, God knows us. You're his. You belong to him. You have called upon him to take you over away from your sin and towards your righteousness. So God knows how you use your money and God knows how you use your time. He's evaluating those things. He knows those things. God knows this. God knows if we love one another in here or out there. He knows it. Knows the motives of our heart, the attitudes of our minds. God knows if we have ever or even planned to reach to those on the outside looking in. God knows this. God knows if we exhibit faith to the point where we take joy in trials. That's a tough one. And God knows if we live in the world and we light it up, or God knows if we are becoming an enemy and following the world as if we love it. This is what God knows about every single one of us. And for those of us who are in Christ, 
God will judge us according to our works. It's not a salvation in or out judgment. It's a works judgment. Now, as we continue, the Bible clearly teaches that the way we live on earth determines reward in heaven. It's the truth. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. This is not to be thought of as if we are working to outdo one another. Many of us in here have a competitive spirit. Nothing wrong with that. But you're not trying to accumulate crowns and keep tabs till you get to heaven so that you beat somebody else. It's also not to be thought of in the sense that obedience and service and love are done in terms of gaining a full payoff when we get to heaven. I'm doing this because when I get there, I'm going to have that mansion over the hilltop promised for me. Now, you're going to live in a shack, but I'm going to live in a mansion, right? That's not what the Scripture is, is talking about. No, heavenly reward will be the full realization of the kingdom of God, and this part doesn't even make sense to me. It will be the acknowledgement to us from our King and Savior. Rewards are discussed, they are debated amongst scholars, but Scripture clearly speaks of crowns. If you read the Bible, it speaks of crowns being rewarded by God to the faithful. As in the original Greek Olympics, where the winners received crowns, they were made from olive leaves placed around their head, personified a, a position of excellence. Now think about this. Our Jesus who wore a crown of thorns will present us with crowns of acknowledgement. We live in a culture where if we get real honest, we may not think or would ever admit that crowns seem like a great reward. Before we tackle that, let's mention the crowns in the Bible. And this is another study for another day. But briefly, let me just read you quickly of what these crowns of acknowledgement from God to the faithful are. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 speaks of a crown for a disciplined life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19 speaks of a crown for reaching the lost with the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 4 mentions looking ahead and living with the return of Christ in mind. There's a crown for that. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 mentions enduring suffering for the Lord. There's a crown for that. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4, leading faithfully in a position of influence or service, you receive a crown from that. This is acknowledgement from our Lord and Savior for following faithfully. And again, when we think about crowns being awarded by God to us, we live in such a culture where we have such things in all abundance that we may think to ourselves, is, is it a crown? Is that what we're getting? So it's a crown. Like there's no options there. You're going to give us the crown. And, and we begin to think to ourselves, well, that's pretty cool, I guess. But like, what, an, what about an estate with a lot of acreage? Maybe some amenities that we get to pick out. Like, the crown's cool, but does that come with this guarantee of all the things that we think about in our flesh? Or, or what about, Lord, if we could just get a heavenly grab bag of treasures of things that we desire on this earth? But to think about that in that way is to think about reward in terms of the what instead of the why. Y'all, I have seen grown men become excited about showing off a small medallion or coin like a kid, of, kid at Christmas because it means sobriety. It's not about the what. It's not about the what. It's about the why. The crown represents the acknowledgement of God 
The crown represents the glory of eternal life. The crown represents God saying to us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what it is. That's what it's about. Now, maybe to this point you're thinking, okay, so rewards are a blessing of God. And we receive those rewards when we believe the gospel and are faithful unto serve. But should we really consider acknowledgement from Jesus as the motive for good works and Christian service? Should we really think about what we get when we think about why we should serve God and go on mission and reach the lost and be generous and love one another and have joy in trials should, and, and be holy? Should we really think about the motives for those obediences to be, we will receive rewards for that. And I will tell you this with all confidence, absolutely you should. Why? Why in the world would we do that? Is that not selfish? Because whatever crown you receive, you're going to turn right around and lay it back down at his feet anyway. And that's why we should think about the reward. That's why we should think about the acknowledgement. For we will be able to present that acknowledgement right back to our Savior. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 to 10 says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So yes, Christian, get after it for those crowns, those acknowledgments of faithfulness, because the scripture suggests the elders symbolize the people of God. And those with the acknowledgment of God will turn right around and lay those acknowledgments at his holy feet. That is the possibility of reward that we all have if we are in Christ. Secondly is the need for reverence. The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, the last half of verse 17 says this, after the possibility of reward, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as temporary residents. In order for us to set ourselves up for the possibility of reward, we must take into that a reverent fear as we live as foreigners on this earth that are hoping for that home. Reverent fear is the attitude towards reward. Reverent fear is the opposite of frivolous disregard. There will be no obedience to God, to God if we have a frivolous disregard for God in our heart. Reverent fear is also not a terror like we are Halloween afraid of God. That is not what reverent fear is. Listen to this. Reverent fear of God is a serious attitude of love and a serious distrust of self. Take that note again. I did not come up with that but it's good enough for you to take down. Reverent fear of God is a serious attitude of love and a serious distrust of self when it comes into making every decision. School year started. Many of you, as we acknowledged you last week, whether it be homeschool, private school, public school, you are classroom teachers or you've been teachers before. On the first day of school, teachers will present the rules and routines the very first day. That is what we are taught to do, rules and routines. This is what we're going to do the first day. All laid out there before them. Why? These are the expectations for this class. And everything is at peace for about one eight-hour day. Teachers, can you say amen to that? About one eight hours, there's going to be reverence. 
there's going to be a love and a distrust of self for about an eight-hour period. Then after that, the attitude of love, the serious distrust of self begins to wear off. As children, become unco- as children become comfortable, they become comfortable, too comfortable with authority. It's not the teacher's desire to send the kid to the principal's office. If it is, then they don't need to be doing what they're doing. It's not the teacher's desire to discipline the child, to go through those steps. Those are there for the possibility of consequence. No, a teacher worth their salt wants to accomplish their purpose through the child and reward them when they get it right. That's what a teacher wants to do. And once again, God's word doesn't call for fear of him in the context of discipline. Y'all, God's word is calling for fear of God in the context of reward. He wants to bless you. Genesis to Revelation wants to bless you. God called a people to himself called Israel so that blessing would be introduced to the world. He wants to bless. So Christians start thinking about that and God's desire to bless you instead of discipline you. But know this, if God needs to get our attention, he'll do it. If God needs to discipline us, he will do it. Why? Because he loves us. That's why discipline is in place. Because he loves us. Solomon, a king of God's people, Solomon had a resume in the world like no other. He had a resume of all wisdom, but he also had a resume of a lot of foolishness. He experienced blessing and he experienced discipline. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, this wise man, an author in the scripture, inspired of God, said this, here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. The final conclusion of a king of God's people says, fear God and obey his commandments. Practically speaking, the fear of the Lord is making decisions with the Savior in mind. I'm going to say that one more time. Practically speaking, the fear of the Lord is making decisions every day, making choices with your Savior in mind. And to know what your Savior desires, to know what it is that God would have you to do in making those decisions, you have to remain in front of the preaching, teaching, and study of the Word of God. Come on. Christian, at no time in your life, there should never be a time in the life of a Christian when you are distant or inconsistent from the ministry of the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Did everybody hear that? Whether y'all decide to skip on out of Lindsay Lane and go somewhere else next week, or if you've been a member here for 50 years, or you're undecided, if you are a believer and you live and follow Jesus Christ, there should never be a time where you look up and you've missed a month of Sundays. Can I just make it plain for a minute? There should never be a time when you find yourself so distant from the Word of God that your kids are surprised when you're going to take them to church. There should never be a time in the life of those who are saved by the truth of God's Word, where we are so separate from the truth of God's Word. We are people of this book. Come on. This is who we are. We reflect the principles and truths of God's holy Word. And even if we have a fear of God, that fear will go all kinds of directions if we don't know what God's Word says. We should never be this distant from God's Word. And you may be tempted as you are distant. You miss two, three Sundays in a row, and you think to yourself, I just did exactly what he said once again. Well, come on back in here because the favor of God is unmerited. It's grace. And you need it. 
And we need to humble ourselves and come back in front of God's word and be a part of his fellowship. And moreover, we must read it for ourselves. We must read the Bible for ourselves so that our reverent fear of God has a direction. Many times we've discussed this, reading the Bible on our own. Are you reading the Bible on your own? Are you taking it a little bit at a time? Are you breaking down the passages? Are you asking the questions that we teach here? When you read a passage of Scripture, are you asking, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about people? Just start there. And if you are a Christian, the Spirit of God that is in you is working to teach you the truth of God's Word. Don't be giving these lame excuses of, I don't understand a word of it, and just close it up. Exercise faith, trust God, ask questions, seek out His people for some answers from people that you trust. Read God's Word. Those first two questions, what does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about man? Now add this question when you read. Is there a command to follow? Is there a command to follow? If there is a command to follow, that is the direction of your reverent fear. That is the direction of your love for God and your distrust of self, that you are going in the direction of the commands of God's Word. Now, in 1 Peter alone, in 1 Peter chapter 1 alone, If you look for the commands there, this is what you'll find in verse 6. Be glad through trials. Verse 13, exercise self-control. Verse 14, don't slip back. Verse 15, be holy. Verse 22, love each other deeply. What are those? Those are commands. Those are commands from God. And if we love him and don't trust ourselves, this is the direction of our reverent fear. Why do we keep bringing it back up? Reward, y'all. Reward. The reward that God would acknowledge to us that we can lay back down at his feet. There's the possibility of reward, and then there's the need for reverence, but the whole reason is ransom. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. 18 through 20. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, and God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. The preparation for reward is reverence. The reason for reverence is ransom. Ransom is a payment for release. Everybody knows what that is, right? Ransom is a payment given for the release of someone in captivity. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the greatest ransom paid for a captive in the history of the world to be released was Adahu Alpa. Everybody's heard of him, right? Adahu Alpa, the last emperor of the Incas. He was captured by the Spanish conquistador Pizarro in the 1500s. The Incas paid in gold and silver for the release of their leader to a total in gold and silver in today's terms of $1.5 billion. It's pretty impressive figures. But what if I told you that the entire world is captive and in need of freedom? And the scripture says, we all need this rescue. Look there in the Bible. Verse 18, God paid a ransom to save you from what? From this empty life. Empty life. A life that we are imprisoned to, that without God, 
We live a life of no purpose, filled up with idols and self and all the things that we selfishly desire. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from God, our life means nothing. Apart from God, we walk within ourselves and don't walk with God like we were created to be. We are rescued in Christ from this empty life. Y'all, one time I remember driving up to Taco Bell on a holiday weekend. Hit through the drive-thru, I get there. Whoever was on the other side of the speaker was very nice. They said, welcome to Taco Bell. We're glad that you've chosen to eat with us today. Just want to let you know we don't have any food at all. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. That actually happened. And I was speechless. I was like, well, good to see you guys. You know, like I, I didn't even, I, and I thought to myself, I was like, this, what are you talking about? You don't have any food? This is Taco Bell. Like your whole thing. The whole reason you are here is so when I ask for food and am willing to pay for it, you will give me something. I don't like, y'all don't have a mild sauce or anything? (laughs) We have no food, is what she told me. So the very reason that they are there is of no value. We fill our lives with all kinds of things. Right now, some of us in here I know are experiencing the consequence of that. We are distant from God because our life is filled with idolatry or desires that are selfish, the things that we want to do, some sort of distant doctrine that's nowhere lined up with the Word of God. Our life is filled up with this, but it doesn't deliver what it's supposed to because it's apart from God. And the good news of Jesus says, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from that empty life. Did you know that that empty life has you imprisoned? It's got you locked up. And the consequences of being locked up to an empty life are death and separation in that cage of an empty life forever apart from God. But that ain't the end of the story. For the scripture says that it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. He, Jesus, is the one who paid for your release and everybody's release from this empty life of sin and selfishness. When the Bible says it was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, this is an allusion to the Passover Lamb in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. Charlton Heston movie and all that, right? Sometimes we even know the movie better than we do the Scripture. But we see that movie at Easter, and and the, the Israelites are captive to Egypt, and God freed His people because God takes care of His people, be reminded. God freed His people from the angel of death meant to judge the Egyptians worshiping all kinds of false gods, They were to take a sinless, spotless lamb, take the blood, post it over the doorpost of their homes, and the angel of death would pass right on by them. This is the system of sacrifice that God had set up to free his people. You see that all throughout the Bible, and the lamb's blood of the door was just a foreshadowing of a greater rescue, a freedom from the power of sin over the entire world and the blood sacrifice of Jesus over the doorpost of our home and our life is what keeps us from eternal separation. Knowing no sin of his own, Jesus became sin for us and he went to the cross so that we might be rescued from death. So all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation announces this, y'all. Hey, Guinness Book of World Records, you're wrong about that. You're wrong about the greatest ransom ever paid for anybody. Because that gold and silver, according to the Bible, loses its value. But the precious blood of Christ, of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as your payment 
for your captivity. God chose us, God chose Jesus to, to pay the price of our sin before the world began, meaning it was his intention to bless and to free up. But now the Bible says in these last days, he, Jesus, has been revealed for your sake. Our rescue was free for us, but it cost God the life of his pure and perfect son. And it was God's plan from the beginning to bless us with salvation, to offer heavenly reward, to give us eternal life, experiencing the kingdom of God forever, to free us from the sin that holds us down and keeps us from healthy relationship, the sin that keeps us from normal activity as it according to God, normal activity is that which brings glory to God in the Scripture. It is the grace and mercy of God that keeps us from, from living a life that doesn't count. And we stand before God and thought we had it all right because we live within ourselves and reach conclusions at the top of our mind and found out we were wrong all the time. Salvation is available. Rescue from the ransom. Ransom is available because of Jesus Christ. And with this salvation comes the responsibility of reverence. Reverence toward our God, towards the acknowledgement from him, which is reward. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. This is the word of the Lord today. I want to invite you as next steps to join this church. I want to invite you to plug into a ministry. I want to invite you to be a part of a group. I want to invite you right now as we are thinking about what all of this time means, listen to me real quick. Listen to me. If in your heart and mind, at the beginning of the service, you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, now is the right time for you to walk this aisle and say, I called on the Lord to be saved. That's all you got to say. I called on the Lord to be saved. And if you would say to yourself, man, I appreciate that very much. That ain't happening because I've never been in church all my life and I don't know what that's about. Let me encourage you. If you'll take that first step, the Lord will take you the rest of the way. The second encouragement is this. You don't have to walk this aisle to get saved. But you need to tell someone so that we can help you take your next steps. A public profession is, is not just baptism or walking the aisle. A public profession is letting the public know you're a believer. Let us know so we can help you. Lord, I believe we've been faithful to deliver your word, to lift you up in worship. God, we even now ask that your spirit would continue to pull us, continue to tug at our heart. God, if there be anyone here that for the first time in their life they have called upon your name for salvation, Lord, that they would be bold enough to bring that decision with devotion forward to us so that we can help them take their next steps in discipleship. God, whatever it is that was read from your word, whatever it is that we've saying that has gripped our heart and mind Lord may we leave with it take it with us and in all the reverent fear that we can muster God that we would follow hard after you toward the reward Lord that we will surely lay back at your feet God this whole thing is about you Lord draw us closer Father if there are those that need to take a next step and join the church they need to be baptized God I just ask that your spirit would move upon them Nobody's twisting their arm towards anything, Lord, but we pray that your spirit, Lord, trusting that your spirit is working, that they would respond in faith. And Lord, if this be the last time we get to lift our voice in worship, Father, I pray that it would be genuine. In Jesus' name, amen. Altar is open for you.